I'm trying to get all my yawns um, out. (laughs) Yeah, a round of like vocal warm ups or something. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe this is just our sleepy time episode. We've been running on like burning the candle at both ends the last couple episodes. (laughs) Maybe this is where we're like, here's a reprieve. We can't keep this up. It's sleepy this week. Welcome to Red Barricades, Lamer's podcast. My name is Nemo Martin. I use they them pronouns. And today <laughs> I had to buy a new um, lip chapstick and it said menthol on it, but I was like, oh, it's not going to be like, you know, menthol. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like <laughs> menthol. <laughs> I felt it. My, my lips, they felt so um, uh, attacked. <laughs> um, Caressed by mint. And- because <laughs> it, it it has that effect of making them feel like really cold, mm. right? And really like uh, I don't know what the word is. It's pungent is the wrong word because I always feel pungent is like quite bad. But like yeah, but the entire time I was thinking, man, if only Vitugo had this and he could give it to Jean Valjean <laughs> on his beautiful lips. <laughs> We've had we have quite a few beautiful lips, but. The most important yeah. lips for you yeah. are Jean Valjean's. Yes, obviously. Uh, this is Stevie, she, they pronouns. Secondary, no, prime, oh god. <laughs> I'm a researcher, <laughs> I promise. Um, this week, primary. Me and Nemo, separately from across London this evening, both ate a really big meal, and then we both got so cosy, and we're being very brave right now by getting out of bed. <laughs> And separately <laughs> agreeing to record this episode. <laughs> braver than any marine. <laughs> it, it felt like it. And you know who else is braver than any marine? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Marius because, you know, Victor Hugo just keeps telling me with his words how brave Marius is. So he must <laughs> A be. Brave little meow meow. <laughs> <laughs> a brave little meal. And as uh well, yeah, he kind of like Javert has made him his little police soldier spy boy. So good little police spy boy that he is. Uh last we saw him he was hiding under his bed. <laughs> but he's getting back out. He's be- he's really brave, you guys. He's getting out from under the bed. Yeah. So actually, I guess Marius is in the same spot that you and me were, where we were like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll get up and do my my work. <laughs> so he's clambered back up on that bureau so he can peek through the, the crack in the wall and see next door. So that's start a scene, Marius peering through wall. Um, location, the interior of the Jondrette lodgings and it's presenting a peculiar sight right now because the uh, was were we already getting funky lighting last time? Hmm. We get a lot about I like now I think so much about you being telling me reminding me that Victor Hugo is a playwright of mm. <laughs> all things so like I, I I, do I just go through phases of like forgetting that I'm obsessed with the way he 
<laughs> does his lighting and then I re-remember and that's all I can think about because he's back he's back on it with the lighting and I'm back on it on noticing it so hard. I mean it's probably that thing where he forgot about it. You know, he became a biologist for a bit and then was like, oh, I'm writing a play now, so I'm going to think about the lighting. Yeah, okay, so we're back on it and there's some funky lighting. Mm. Um, and it's from a candle that is being reflected off of this big sheet metal brazier that's in front of the fireplace and that's also filled with burning charcoal. Mm. So the entire room is very lit right now and that charcoal is glowing red hot and there's a dancing blue flame we don't have any yellow light right now but the the lame is play and movie thing was the <laughs> uh, the very yellow light and then a very blue light wasn't it yeah yeah to reflect the to, yeah yeah the the movie was to reflect the the stage show did, did you already describe it as being hellish like like the theater like the <laughs> do not worry about <laughs> things being described as hellish Nemo. <laughs> let me finish this paragraph <laughs> um yeah of course it is uh it's illuminated the hovel's more like a smithy um, than the mouth of hell but jondrette looked more like a demon than like a blacksmith Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you may now continue with your point. <laughs> no, it was literally just I was just thinking about like when Hugo compared the theatre to hell, and so now he's also talking about lighting and hell and uh, yeah. I was just connecting those dots. <laughs> There's not really anything and to connect. Jean-Dret- no, you're doing it because Jondrette is too Monsieur LeBlanc pretending that he's an actor. Oh yeah, hell yeah. So you, all the dots are connected. Yay! I'm a genius. Did it <laughs> in the first like ten minutes as well. Pack it up, lads. Yes, yeah. we did it. We got it. <laughs> but our favorite source of light, the moonlight. Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna say Jean Valjean's smile. <laughs> <laughs> Which was described like a, a rare um it, it was uh beam was of it? sunlight. Yeah, in, in the behind a, from emerging from behind a cloud, so <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> well, he's not re- he doesn't really smile these chapters, no, otherwise you would have been correct. <laughs> we must assume. Um now it's the moonlight that's <laughs> Entering through the four window panes that's casting a whiteness into this blazing crimson garret. And to the poetic mind of Marius, a dreamer even at a time of action. It was like some heavenly notion mingling with the earth's monstrous dreams. Uh-huh. And the moonlight being dramatic, like maybe I think that's what woke me back up to like, oh yeah, lighting in Victor Hugo. Um, <laughs> that the moonlight's always been here for us when things are at their most dramatic. It's like, and the one that came most to mind was um, when Jean Valjean was like, "Am I gonna go and kill this old priest?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the moonbeam was laid itself across uh, Bonvenu. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I've forgotten his real actual name. My favorite boy. Oh God, the. Bishop of D. 
Christine. Yeah, Muriel. Muriel. <laughs> fuck. Wow. <laughs> We've Terrible. Not, yeah. A beautiful boy. We we left him for we we've we've been cheating on him with so many other older men. <laughs> it's true. I like I always remember him as welcome, but I'm like, but what's his actual? <laughs> um, yeah, when and the moonbeam hit Bishop Muriel's face, mm. and Jean Valjean was like, I probably shouldn't kill him with this poker. <gasps> Which, so, mm. actually, in oh. scene, and this team is coming in, and what is Jondrette happening to be warming in the fire? It's like yes. a, a big pointy, pokery type, uh, what, what is it? It's a chisel! There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but a chisel is kind of like a poker, an ice poker, wasn't it? An ice poker, an ice stick? Yeah, it was an ice pick. Jean yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would argue that to my untrained brain, they are very similar looking implements. So maybe we're sure having parallels are. right now. Yeah, because a chisel, yeah, they're both like <laughs> long, thin sticks. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, slightly pointed at the end, slightly flat, like handhold in- metal instruments. Yeah, they're basically the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, that was that was a good, I, I was very excited about that that connection. So good job, Steve. <laughs> Wow, I hadn't even thought about it while I was reading it, but it's we've connected more dots, yeah. surely. Oh, I'm really. This is one of those times where I'm like, do we think this was Victor Hugo setting up some nice parallels, or <laughs> was it an accident that he just had? Yeah, he he, mm. he it was. It's his favorite trope. I'm gonna okay. Let's say he did it on purpose. We'll, we'll give him this. We're unfair to him yeah. for many things. Well, not unfair. We we <laughs> criticize him for many things, but he he's allowed to have set up this parallel. Yeah, and like his favorite trope is the moonlight illuminating a dramatic scene. Like this yeah. isn't the first time we've seen it. So like when uh, earlier while I was reading, Sarah was like, "Oh, are you almost done." <laughs> I was like, "No." <laughs> when you've used moonlight for your dramatic moments this many times like eventually it's gonna parallel a <laughs> earlier scene surely just statistically at this That's point true. that is true but no you're right we'll let him have this so moonlight and a pointy stick the threat of danger so so assuming that do we think that Jondrette's gonna decide not to kill monsieur leblanc Mm, I, well, I know what happens with the chisel, so... <laughs> yeah, but you can pretend for the sake of this. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that, I think that Jondrette is going to have a moment where he, 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 he's standing before the window, the same window that he, he, he made his daughter punch through. And he'll he'll have it raised as if he's about to do something to Jean Valjean, and then the the moonlight will like backlight him, and then he'll burst into a song. Which in my head, since the first time that you said moonlight, has just been memories. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, it, it mentions moonlight in that song, right? Probably. Yeah, it does. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> That's all I've had in my head the entire time. So, wow, Nemo, you're so naive. 
fucking slam dunk. All right, thanks. <laughs> uh, I actually haven't got up to what's going to happen with the chisel. So, like, actually, maybe you're right. Uh, and we can we can only hope for uh, your pure soul that you're right, Nemo. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah, okay. <laughs> that nothing cool. bad is gonna happen. Yeah, he's gonna see the face of God. I'm um I'm very excited for you to get to the, to oh. the face of God. Yeah, it, it's okay. Now, what you're I'm... picturing, but make it like way more interest, way more fucking intense. Oh, okay, thrilling. Well, I know something. Hinky's gonna go on because this very room Victor Hugo describes uh, as like it's the most isolated house on the loneliest boulevard. Had the ambush not yet existed, it would have been invented here in this house. <laughs> if we, the French, had uh, not in- uh, uh, invented it, I'm sure. And if Marius had been Kufarek, that is to say, that his is favorite phrase. <laughs> That is to say, one of those men who laugh at every opportunity in life, he would have burst out laughing when his gaze fell on the Jondrette woman, because she's dressed in a little outfit that he finds most amusing. Black feathered hat, a immense tartan shawl, and the men's shoes that her daughter had scorned that very morning. And Jondrette's like, oh, you've got yourself dressed up. Well done. We need to inspire trust. <laughs> and... Jondrette, he's still in Monsieur LeBlanc's too big coat, which yeah. I don't think is his yellow coat anymore, but I still picture it as the yellow coat. Mm. No, it wouldn't be the yellow coat because he um, dresses nicely for going out with his daughter. Mm. That's true. Like, I know it isn't, but my brain still chooses to, <laughs> when I picture these scenes, it's the yellow velvet coat. Yeah, yeah. Um, in that outfit that Kufarak would have, that Kufarak's eyes constituted the archetypal poet. Mm. We did, like, didn't get a ton of Kufarak, but yeah. he does come up a lot. I was thinking that, that, like, this is one of those moments where Jean Valjean's editor was like, Marius wouldn't think that. And so Hugo went back through this entire <laughs> chapter and was like, and if Marius was Kufarak, then he would think like this. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, that's, there's, in, in two paragraphs, he comes up one in each, like, and Kufarak would have thought that. <laughs> if only Marius was Kufarak. Yeah. Who is very similar to the guy who scorned Fontaine, <laughs> but like actually really different. Like if you knew him, you'd know how different he was. Uh, Jean Drette's like been pacing around the room, like kind of, you know, their their plan is coming to fruition very soon. And he's like, oh, now that I think about it, he'll probably come in a carriage. So wife, you go downstairs. The second he's outside, you open the door, bring him up, and then you slip back downstairs pay the coachman so that he fucks off basically mm. uh, and the wife's like well with what money Jondrette fumbles in his trouser pockets and hands her five francs <gasps> and it is now that I tell you that the chapter title is the use made of Marius's five franc <gasps> piece dun, dun, dun. the bitch gave it yeah. away Marius could have used <laughs> that on his carriage he could have done such good stalking with that money <laughs> Oh yeah, and we know for sure it's it's Marius's money because the wife's like, oh, what's this? And John Drett's like, oh, the monocar neighbor gave us this morning. The monarch being the five franc piece because it must have the face of the monarch on it. Mm. So the coin that 
our neighbor gave us this morning. And then he's looking around and he's like, you know what? We need another two chairs in here. What for? To sit on. Um, and the wife's like, okay, well, I'll just like go fetch some from next door. And Marius is like, <laughs> <laughs> because there is not enough time for Marius to climb down and get back under the bed. And Jondrette's like, take the candle. And the wife's like, no, don't worry. Like, I've got, I'm going to be carrying two chairs. And the moon is so bright. Mm. And Marius's heart is pounding and he's rooted to the spot with shock and amazement as the genre woman enters his room. But luckily for Marius, the window lets in a shaft of moonlight Uh that falls between two patches of shadow. And wouldn't you believe Nemo, but (laughs) one of those patches of shadow just perfectly conceals Marius. Well, it's because he's loved by God and Tenardier and his wife are not, so... Providence. I mean, that's the only explanation that actually we could come to. <laughs> I think you could you could be doing a PhD about moonlight and God. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of raw material. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, you can have you can also get a PhD. We'll we'll both be PhD oh, holders in in Les Mis, and yours mm. is about moonlight, and mine's about. Um, Javert. <laughs> <laughs> Our two favourite things. <laughs> that God-loving moonlight is keeping Marius so well concealed right now. And Jondrette, the wife, doesn't even see him. She just takes the two chairs, the only ones that Marius possesses, by the way, and then mm. left. And the husband is like, okay, here's a lantern, go downstairs. And... Yeah, Marius is still at his hidey hole, mm. even though he was like, Ugh! for a second there, but he's like, okay, no, back back on watching. Um, I hope you know, there would be no way for you to know this, but every time I say that Marius is looking through the little hole, every single time I make an O with my thumb and my <laughs> pointer finger, make an O and I look through it. <laughs> I didn't know that, and now I'm going to do it every time you do too. <laughs> okay, good. Like, not on purpose. I only clocked it last time I did this. Oh my god. I was like, Nemo can't even see me. This is just for myself. So, Marius, once again, peeking through the little hole. Um, <laughs> and I, once again, even though I pointed it out to you, I still automatically... Did the, did the hand motion. I also um, did it. Uh... Oh, I'm so glad. And Jondrette has rearranged the room. He's got the two chairs either side of the table turned the chisel that's in the burning coals over and then put an old screen in front of the hearth and the brazier, mm. kind of hiding them from the rest of the room. And then he's bent down in the corner where there's a pile of rope, kind of looking like he's examining it. And that's when Marius realised that what he had taken for a shapeless heap was very well, very well made rope ladder, um, the two little hooks and everything to attach it to walls. Mm. Um, And there's like some tools and some massive iron implements in this little like artfully made jumble. So to the untrained eye, it's just junk. But that because Marius has been 
looking through this little hole all day, he knows that these things weren't here this morning, mm -hmm. so they've been added recently. Those are edge tools, thought Marius. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kufrax been showing him some things. And if only Marius had a little more expertise in this area, he would have recognised that what he took to be edge tools were certain implements capable of forcing a lock or jimmying a door um, uh -huh. and others capable of cutting and slicing. <laughs> the two categories of sinister tool that burglars call claws and clippers. Ooh, I know my lingo. Says <laughs> mm, <so> Hugo. <laughs> so, now that the burning holes have kind of been concealed, mm. the room is once again only lit by the single candle and it's casting a huge shadow sort of frightful and ominous calm is now settling over the room and the anticipation of something dreadful about to happen mm. Jondrette lights his pipe no he had already lit his pipe but it's just gone out so the candlelight being the only light <laughs> is bringing out the fierce sharp angularity of his face and he's scowling and gesturing as he kind of mutters to himself mm. and then he opens a drawer and there's a long bladed kitchen knife concealed mm. in it and then he closes that drawer again so that was just for all of us <laughs> anyone who could be watching <laughs> to know that something something bad could happen and to build suspense dun, dun, dun. as for Marius mm -hmm. at this point he's like I'm gonna take my pistol out Yeah, draws it out cocks it and it gives such a clear sharp click that Jondrette startles from his chair <laughs> does, does to imply that Marius has like never held a gun or never like been around a gun which like I guess I haven't either but mm. maybe I've just seen too many <laughs> films and stuff but I just would have thought that he would have thought about that yeah well I guess I guess uh, any time that he may have been around a gun it wouldn't have been this dead silent because of the snow mm. dampening the sound outside remember remember that <laughs> don't worry about that snow <laughs> dampening the sound it's gonna be back as well <laughs> and and but yeah you're right you're right <laughs> uh i feel like he just said something about how there was no sound or something, or maybe I'm making that up. <laughs> well, maybe it's just like the anticipation. He was like, I've got to cock this thing now. <laughs> but luckily for him this time, even though we've had so much genre like pacing around and like muttering to himself mm. and like kind of seeming a bit paranoid mm. and like really micromanaging everything, <laughs> he's like, ah, what a fool I am. I'm sure it's just the partition creaking. Oh my God. <sighs> so, no consequences. And Marius has kept the pistol in his hand. Mm, providence. Next chapter. Oh, yeah. Providence has touched this boy by way of Jean Valjean. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what we said? <laughs> All of a sudden, <laughs> the distant and melancholy vibration of a church bell goes off. Six bong. Six bong. <laughs> and. Jondrette's like listening, nothing's coming in the corridor. He's like, you'd better come. Sits back down in his chair and he's barely sat down before the door opens and there's the Jondrette woman, illuminated from below 
by one of the holes in the dark lantern. Come in, monsieur. Come in, my benefactor, Jondrette said, jumping to his feet. And there, best boy, monsieur Leblanc. Hell yeah. He had an air of serenity that made him look particularly venerable today. Mm -hmm. And he puts four gold coins on the table and is like, monsieur Fabonteau, this is for your rent and your immediate needs. After that, we'll see. (laughs) And... Jondrette's like, oh, thank you, thank you. And then even though, once again, because this is a pantomime, mm. uh, even though we've just heard how silent this house is, yeah. and that there's literally no, no other point of interest in this room, yeah. except for each other, yeah. Jondrette still manages to go over to his <laughs> wife and whisper, go send the carriage away. Because <laughs> we need the reminder, uh, like three paragraphs later yeah what is this the sports anime (laughs) Uh, and then she can slip out and then return and just as stealthily go up to the husband and be like it's done Uh, and I guess Monsieur LeBlanc just doesn't think anything of it yeah she like left for a solid four minutes and they just stared at each other in silence there was no conversation (laughs) That is actually how, yeah, that's how I picture it. And Monsieur LeBlanc is just too too polite. He's just like, it's all good. And as you so well remembered, Nemo, the snow has indeed been falling nonstop (laughs) since that morning. So the cab couldn't be heard when it arrived and it can't be heard leaving now. Yeah. Meanwhile, so they've sat down across from each other because there's nothing else to do in this room right now. Now, to picture to himself the scene that is to follow, the reader should bear in mind the icy darkness, the lonely snow-covered waste of the La Sepultriere that lay white in the moonlight like vast shrouds, the dim light from the street lamps casting their red glow here and there, the bleak boulevard, the black elms, not a soul to be seen for more than half a mile. Uh, It's silent, there's horror, it's dark, the darkness has never been so great. (laughs) The vast Jondrette den lit by only a single candle. Uh, and at that in that miserable room, two men sat, Monsieur Leblanc placid, Jondrette smiling, Jondrette woman, the she-wolf in a corner. Um, Marius, behind the door, pistol in hand. Mm. So, I, but I guess because n- neither you or me are him for himself to picture for this scene we can picture whatever the hell we want yeah i mean also did it did, did you just say that the, this room was only being lit by one candle i thought he had like the roaring blazing fire happening so that's what was covered mm. uh, by the, some metal yes. but i'm i might not have lingered on that long I enough see, I see. Uh, cool thanks but yeah like behind some metal there is a a bigger like a whole thing of coal mm. but it's just so well concealed right now i guess yeah right oh that's what a brazier is it's like that folding metal screen thing right yeah i think so container to burn charcoal in mm. so the charcoal's in the brazier he has mm. put something in front of it and the smoke is soundlessly going up the chimney oh my god you know i used to know what what was it called? Uh, fire dog? What are you trying to think of? It's like a thing that you put... I, I vividly remember this because we talked about it in 
probably the first season of this podcast and that I was like it was called it was literally called something like a fire fire dog but um and it's kind of like a brazier but uh that's what it used to be called dog grate fire basket dog grate Anyway, I'm sorry. I just got really... <laughs> I, I suddenly got a vivid memory of sitting here and talking about fire dogs uh, on this podcast and was like, oh my God, I remembered something and it's completely useless. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're pleased for any memory to come and visit us <laughs> here. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't happen often. No. Well, I take your word for it. <laughs> Fire dog. <laughs> yeah, I think if he'd have used those words, well, that would have, that was a an old translation. Yeah, was season one of this show. So if it had once again been described as a fire dog, I really think I would have lingered over it. Yeah, to be like a uh, Pokemon. Mm. Is that is that the conversation we had? Probably. Fucking probably. To be honest, knowing us. <laughs> wow. Where were we? Oh, how if if only we were him. Yes, yes, yes. We we would be we would. This is how the reader should. All the things the reader should be bearing in mind. Yeah. But we don't need to bear anything no, in mind. No, no. Except for fire dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We 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 don't have the the pronouns needed, so we're gonna uh, uh, embellish. And you know, in fact, Marius had no fear. <laughs> Only a sense of horror. I thought you were going to say Marius had fact, no pronouns. And I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's got so many he's. <laughs> These are all the things that Marius should be bearing in mind. Yeah. And actually he is bearing all of those things in mind. Good to him. While he clutches his pistol, which makes him feel reassured that he can put a stop to this whenever he wants to. And he's aware he of the He clutches your so- ears. <laughs> He is, and he's thinking about him too. He's like, somewhere out there is Javert hiding, waiting for my signal. So it'll all be okay. But he's also hoping that this violent encounter between Jondrette and Monsieur LeBlanc will result in some light being shed on all the things that are in his interest to know. Yeah. So this is all about me, Marius. Of course. Beware the dark fringes. Next chapter. So... Monsieur LeBlanc sits down and he looks at the empty pallets and is like, oh, how's the poor little girl who was hurt? So we know he's caring and remembers these things. And Jondrette's like, oh, in a bad way. Oh, her sister has taken her to be treated. Oh, you'll see them. They'll be back soon. And then Monsieur LeBlanc turns to his wife and is like, ooh, she seems to be better. Uh, from where the Jondrette woman is like standing by the door, guarding it, staring at him with a threatening posture, mm. almost combatant. <laughs> mm. um, and Jondrette's like, no, she's dying, can't be helped. But, you know, she's got so much courage, that woman. She's not a woman, she's an ox. Mm. And Jondrette's wife's like, ooh, like very gratified by this this compliment. And it's like, oh, you're always too good to me. Um, Monsieur Jondrette. Jondrette, said Monsieur LeBlanc. I thought your name was Fabonteau. Okay, woman, ruining everything. <laughs> well, we know how quick on his feet this uh, little weaselly man is. That he's like, oh no, just an alias. It's a stage name. And Monsieur LeBlanc's like, okay. 
this all seems fine, the situation I'm in right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Jandra shrugs at, at his wife, which somehow Monsieur LeBlanc doesn't see. Yeah. I, I am just from going forward assuming he does see all of these things, but it's just like too polite. I do not see. I cannot <laughs> perceive. Yeah. And Jondrette's like, oh, the fact is we've always been we've always got along so well together, the poor dear and myself. But you know, it's so hard. We're willing and able, but there's no work. I'm no anarchist. I'm no anarchist. <laughs> I don't wish anybody ill. But, you know, if I was in charge, things would be different. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, I want my girls to be taught the trade of box making. You'll say to me, what a trade? Yes, a trade, a livelihood. Rights for women. Yeah, I can't tell if it's like another of those times where he's been given a good point but dressed up in this little horrible man Mm. or if it's like part of this bit he's doing where he's like oh of course I wish that we could work but we can't Mm. and how much of that goes hand in hand anyway with the like there's always been a um a class problem in liberation struggles and like with the suffragettes being like rights for me, rights for women, but not those women, <laughs> not not mm. the ones who uh, spend the day working, and because there is fundamentally a difference between like, yeah, people of Cosette's class being seen working and people of Tenardier females' class having to work, because mm. it's not like with Fontaine, you know the whole factory and the women's factory and stuff it wasn't like that was ever like oh how how piteous that they have to work full stop it was like how piteous when they can't get work yeah because it was like oh look at her going out there and doing her best to, yeah. to work yeah and she even was like talking about uh when she was like talking to Javert and she was like oh i'm not like those other women well, Hugo's never given us a drop of female solidarity. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, do, I do remember the sort of like, no, 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 I'm not like other girls. Mm. I work like this. Yeah, yeah. Vibes. Yeah, I can't quite tell what we are meant to be getting from from Jondrette from that. Mm. But then he does. He goes on to say like, oh, but you know, you know, a, a trade, a livelihood, but that'd be some such a come down from where we once were. Um, you know, we used to be so prosperous, but now I want them to have a trade. How sad is that? Mm. So maybe it's not not a good thing. But he, he like later on goes on about getting a trade quite a bit and like how actually like how difficult even that is, which was like another case of where I was like, Oh, we're getting like a point here again. Yeah, yeah. Um where he's like, you know, he wants them to go into box making, or at least that's what he's saying he wants, but that he's like, well, to do that, you need to have three types of glue. You need to have like this type of table. You need to be doing fourteen hours of work just to make this like tiny bit of money, and that's mm. assuming that nothing goes wrong. So, like, who can even afford to make a living anymore? Mm. You need to have ten years of experience for an entry level job. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah, no, it's like literally that kind of vibes. But then he like. <laughs> In the, what, what was it that you called it? Marvel, like, villainitis? Yes, 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 yes. Um, so, like, I am getting a bit ahead of myself there, but he literally does the whole, like, it's, even if, you know, you do want to get a trade, 
you need to spend money on this and this and this and this and even then you're like barely make anything and it has to be it's like the conditions are so difficult Mm. and then he's like anyway fuck you (laughs) (laughs) yeah literally (laughs) to kind of negate all of that yeah he goes and like stabs a child i mean he already did yeah yeah and that's true yeah um so basically as he's like sandwiched between and he kind of like does the is having this kind of like rants throughout marius kind of notices that suddenly there's someone in the room that wasn't in the room before and kind of with that magnetic instinct that alerts the eye monsieur leblanc at the same almost the same moment as marius realizes as well that we're like where did this man come from (laughs) um he's in a purple knitted waistcoat which is stained and torn wide velveteen trousers and wooden clogs on his feet and no shirt bare-necked bare-tattooed arms black-smeared face and he's just Mm. sat there silently Mm. and monsieur leblanc when he notices is kind of like (laughs) like starts a little bit and chandra's like oh don't even worry about it um don't pay any attention to him he's just my neighbor and there's a lot of chemical factories in the St. Marceau district. Mm. So you often see factory workers with blackened faces. And Monsieur LeBlanc's entire being just radiates a frank and fearless trust. So he's like, okay, I'm choosing not to be worried about it. Mm. Um, but then like, as these rants are going on, more and more men just appear in this room <laughs> silently. You know that uh, video was going around on Tumblr, which was like, um, it was like a clown cub. A guy came out, then like five guys came out, then like ten guys came. Like it was like a, a tiny little car, and like loads of men came out. It's that, but for this this tiny room, it, it and like each man is bare armed and shirtless <laughs> as the last. <laughs> oh, and all of them in a mask of. Si- ink or sit which I was trying to say at the same time (laughs) a a mask of sink Um, and Monsieur LeBlanc he clocks them each time Mm. Uh, but Jean Dretsch was like oh they're just part of the household anyway (laughs) these are just um, my boys like his new thing (laughs) yeah these are just some boys like what are you even noticing them for Uh, but Jean Dretsch now like okay so like I'm we're destitute but I have this painting that mm. it means so much to me and I'd hate to part with it but like I do think it's worth some money so maybe would you buy it from me and I was really hopeful that it was going to be the painting that you and me were really <laughs> trying so hard to to understand that I was like great he's gonna he's gonna tell us what it is that it means and really tragically, it's not that painting. <laughs> See, this is what confused me, because I remember this scene, right? I remember the scene happening of, like, what's about to happen with this this new painting. So when when you first talked about the painting before, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> An eagle and a woman and a crying child? Like, I don't remember this. Uh... My my memory is so shot through. But I'm 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 glad that the the actual painting does exist. The one that I remembered it being. Yeah, like Hugo, what are you doing? You can't confuse us with two paintings. <laughs> Why did you so vividly describe that last painting? Yeah, because I swear this is the first time that this new painting has shown up. That I'm like, you didn't set this painting up. <laughs> well, it was described um, 
when it first appeared, uh, when Fontaine was around. If it's the right, if it's if this is the one that I'm thinking, yeah. Of. Okay. So yeah, so it turns out so Marius is like peeking through the hole, do your little monocle movement. This is a dance along podcast. <laughs> um, he's like really trying to make out what this painting even can be, but like as we've said, it's really bad lighting in there right now. Mm. Um, and he's like, it looks something like a painting. A little bit, kind of a crude, some sort of central figure, garish vulgarity of illustration, mm. um, like a fairground canvas. And Jondrette's like, oh, this is the work of a master. <laughs> um, it's of great value. It means as much to me as my two daughters. Wow. Yeah, they're like, they're not much. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. And yeah, and it, it's. Did, did it even say. Well, so we don't get told at this point this is what is on this is exactly what is depicted mm. but Monsieur LeBlanc is like well I don't think it's worth that much it's a tavern sign it's probably worth like three francs and you're like oh, tavern <laughs> sign <laughs> <laughs> so it is the picture that you were picturing yeah Nemo so like that so the existence of this tavern sign was set up hundreds mm. of pages ago. Yeah. But like he really took the time to describe <laughs> the other painting and didn't give me like a a hint that this was coming. No. Yeah. Unhappy it, is what I am. It was like is it is it good enough to be called a red herring? I don't think so. But like there'd be I guess like it, it's clear to the reader who that these people are the people from before yeah so maybe but also it's it just feels like one of those like plot twists that we get in shows these days where they're like oh no they'll whack out that it was this painting so let's just actually not set it up and just do something completely different let's just describe a different painting for no reason yeah that's true it's it (sighs) I feel like I really want to know what that 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 woman and the child and the eagle painting was. Like I feel like there must be there must be something in the same line as uh, of like like when a Marvel TV show does a like big reveal and you're sat there like I have no idea what the fuck that's <laughs> like. Oh wow, her text said blah 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 blah, and so she must have been blah blah blah. She must be blah blah all along, and you're like, great. <laughs> I mean, we we did pull out a lot of meaning. I feel like yeah, maybe it was just the whole. Link to Napoleon, link to Waterloo. Aha, it's this guy. Mm. There's got to be someone who's like, well, when the Lamos panel that's coming up soon, lads, buy your tickets now. Surely there's someone we can ask further questions about it at that at that event. I know this is supposed to be about our podcasting, but we really need to get this answer. Please, everyone turn to page uh, 473 of your translations and just really look at this painting with us. Please tell us where, what, which national gallery can we view this painting in? We can't sleep. We can't rest. <laughs> We've only been thinking. That's why the manic energy has been so high in the last few episodes. It's because since that painting, mm. neither of us have known rest. <laughs> <laughs>
We haven't. And now he's trying to placate us with the tavern <laughs> sign from before. This is a different painting, Victor Hugo. Uh, it's also very Victor Hugo that, like, I know that I know that the John Dretz Tenadiers that they are kind of hoarders and stuff, but like, they have two paintings. <laughs> uh what else do they have like i don't know it's very victor hugo to be like oh yeah they were so impoverished they had nothing like he couldn't even buy a a chemise to a male chemise to wear he did have this unrelated painting though just because it would be politically (laughs) funny if he did (laughs) Mm, just because you could really read into their characters if they had it (laughs) yeah yeah true i'm surprised he's not like the character he set him up to have that he's not tried to sell him before. Yeah. And why doesn't he sell that? Well, I know why, because it's Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for plot reasons. For plot but reasons. still, he could have. Um Two for one. Well, the the plot reasons are coming up right now. Yeah. Um over the course of, you know, the trades, it's so hard to be a box maker. Um also consider how much this painting is worth um and these men just appearing uh now there's four of them <laughs> all bare-armed all of them smeared with black one was old with white hair which with his blackened face was a ghastly sight mm. um and the other two looked young one was bearded and the other had long hair so marius did successfully stumble across the plot earlier because <laughs> one of the men behind the brick wall was bearded and the other had long hair. Wow, you connected the dot. Well, some assuming that you and me are the Gufarek and Compafair watching Marius try and connect dots. <laughs> I'm trying to hold some pieces together in my head. I, I, uh, I, I'm a, that was you, that was you remembering, right? That wasn't Victor Hugo being like, remember when I said these No, things. I remembered that. Yeah, wow, I'm I impressed. I didn't remember that, so... <laughs> um, I, I, I'm very impressed at your detective skills. Ha-ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> I'm Marius! <laughs> <laughs> the best detective in the land, apparently. <laughs> and then he's like, none of them wore shoes, but... <laughs> Objection! A page ago, you said that one, <laughs> one of them was, was wearing, wearing shoes. Victor Hugo. Yeah, yeah wooden clogs. Fuck! <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> so, what's it all to mean? Are they wearing shoes or not? <laughs> and also, he does always give us that moment to let us know what is up with people's feet. Yeah, he says none of them were wearing shoes, and those without socks are barefoot. So. I guess these aren't tiny, dainty feet, but mm. there are... Prominently on display. What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, again, Jondrette's like, they're neighbours, their faces are black because it's sooty, the work they do, they're sweeps and they're stove men- menders. Don't even worry about it. Anyway, like, but I really do think this is worth something. Monsieur LeBlanc has a s- sick burn where where he says it's worth all the three francs. <laughs> and then Jondrette is like, have you got your wallet with you? I'd settle for 3,000 francs. Wow. What a what a bargain <laughs> he's getting. And it's at this point Monsieur LeBlanc finally rises um, with his back to the wall and he looks around the room and there's Jondrette in the window on his left. 
and the Jondrette woman and the four men on the right. And the four men are like pretending like they don't even notice what's going on. And Jondrette's like, no, you've got to buy the picture. You've got to buy it. I'm destitute. There's nothing left for me. I'm going to have to throw myself in the river. Um, which has been mentioned a couple times. So there's some foreshadowing if you've also seen the movie. <laughs> Very weird um, foreshadowing. <laughs> it's like, um, hey, I picked this gun up from your house. Uh, don't. I'm gonna shoot me with it, and then later on, a different character comes and takes a gun. I, I feel like, like, well, I don't know if it, is it on purpose, as you said earlier, or is is it just Victor Hugo accident? But um, that he's like. You know, there's nothing left for me but to throw myself in the river mm, that isn't okay. like Javert's like, there's nothing left for me. Yeah. So the answer true. is. And um Eponine said the same thing a couple uh, chapters ago as well. Yeah. Okay. So, so the river is been being set up. <laughs> Yeah, as as a, a prominent, uh, I was gonna say the very TikTok thing of a, a prominent unaliving space, <laughs> a prominent character in this book, yeah. the river, um, and then I'm sure that set off set up will be paid off in another five hundred pages. <laughs> but yeah, he's once again like box making, box making for New Year's gifts. Mm. Which we learned a lot about New Year's gifts in the holiday season. Hey, so. and the co- and the miners uh, with the the coal on their faces. <gasps> yeah, so very related. Well done, Nima. We did great. <laughs> Go listen to that special if you haven't. It's very relevant right now. <laughs> so yeah, he's like ranting away. Monsieur LeBlanc is looking at him, and Chandrette is looking at the door. And Marius's attention is like ping-ponging from one to the other. And Monsieur LeBlanc seems to be wondering if this man is an imbecile. Because <laughs> he just keeps repeating the kind of lines like, there's nothing left for me but to throw myself in the river. I climbed down three steps the other day with that in mind. And then all at once, his lackluster eyes light up with a hideous blaze. This runtish man draws himself up and becomes frightening. And... He stakes a step towards Monsieur Blanc and thundered, All that's besides the point! Do you recognize me? <laughs> and it, but it's like, that came just after his whole, like, very valid point of, like, you know, if you do want this trade, you need the table, you need blackboard so mm. glasses don't fall on the floor, you need a pot with three compartments for different glues, depending what materials you're using. You need tax, you need pincers. I don't even know all the things that you need. And you'll get four sous a day for a 14-hour day. Mm. Um, and you'll be handling a box 13 times just for one box. Mm. And you have to heat up the glue and you can't make marks on them. I'll be destitute. Mm. I'll throw myself in the river. And do you recognize me? Yeah. Truly, Victor Hugo having his cake and eating it. <laughs> like, that sucks. But you're like, Hugo, what if that was said, what if that, that did you know that that was a a good point you were making? Yeah. Like, did he know? <laughs> did he realise? Was he aware that he was Marvel villaining or was he, it's so hard. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, like, what did he, is he trying to say, like, these situations or what uh, what will turn a man into a genre, mm. 
but then it kind of just makes it because we only really have like I guess it is about the like human choice a little bit in that Jean Valjean is the like epitome of choosing to do good whereas Thenardier Mm. is the epitome of choosing to do bad but then I would argue that like like that that by having providence involved it kind of takes away some of the the choice uh what's that Mm. big thing about god um the illusion of free will or whatever free destination yeah right because because that moonlight it you know it it lit up bishop muriel's face and it kind of was providence It, it prevented Jean Valjean from making the choice because it was like oh look at this like saintly man like lit up by God but then Tanadier's mm. wife didn't see Marius in the darkness because of the how the the how how God chose to light the room so they have different levels of choice which mm is a political commentary in itself like because yeah different people will have different amount of choices by their their situations but it does like it does put them on a false equivalence right because it's kind of saying like oh Jean Valjean and uh, Tenardier they're they're very similar men but one chose this and one chose the other but like literally they couldn't have chosen the same things because God hasn't given them the same choices to make so it's a bit like Mm. (laughs) unfair (laughs) <laughs> um, to in this book called yeah. Limits, <laughs> but it but it's unfair of Victor yeah, no. to pretend that 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 they that this was um that these two characters could have ended up the same way, and that mm. that poor people have the choice to be good or evil depending on like yeah what, what they do with their time, energy, and money. Um, yeah, yeah, because we don't know. If that little moonbeam hadn't let up Muriel, mm. who's to say what would have happened? Yeah. And if Madame Thenardier's uh, alias Jean-Jean wife mm. um, had seen Marius's little <laughs> shocked, scared face, yeah. could that have been her moment of like, ooh, it's different mm. when you do these things in the light. Yeah, like the light of God kind of gave her the same opportunity that 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 uh, that Jean Valjean had which was the like moment of actually I think I am going to be thankful for this benefactor like financial benefactor that mm. Bonvenu was and yeah change the entire track of my life even if I am going to steal it, uh, 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 this ha- has moved me deeply. But she doesn't get that. She doesn't. Mm. She isn't allowed that. I'd connected the dots of like the moonlight and the chisel is exactly like that scene, but I hadn't galaxy brained it to, oh, and Monsieur Leblanc, Jean Valjean is in this scene, Muriel. Mm. But like, yeah, mm. you're so right. Like, yes, I agree with you fully. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that I hadn't really thought about before because, like, I I have been thinking about you know we've talked about it quite a few times on this podcast of like, um, how Hugo likes to pretend that 
like it's it's choice and we've also talked about providence but Mm. i've never like put them on the same like table before (laughs) table with my three different types of glue and (laughs) yeah um yeah it, it 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 I, 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 it's one of those things where I really do wish that I knew how Hugo was writing this, whether he wrote it with that awareness or not. But uh, yeah, yeah. But then there's just well, so many parallels. Three parallels is a lot of parallels to a scene. Like <laughs> yeah. at this point, it's hard not to see it as a callback. Yeah. So it does make the differences starker. Hmm. Hmm. A lot to think about. <laughs> And that also that it was like like the moonlight was a scene for Madame Jondrette slash Tenardier, mm. um, and not for Mister. Jondrette himself. Mm. Yeah, Mister. Yeah. Like as if, well, if we're gonna follow this in in this essay, we will, and to follow the sort of like lighting motif <laughs> metaphor, mm. um, like he like that was there was. N- like, there was no point him having a little moonlight scene. He was always going to go down this path, whereas it was, like, yeah. flirted with being given to Madame Jondrette Tenardier, but ultimately, like, not enough moonlight mm. lit the room. Jondrette's just been in that red candle room that looks like hell this whole time. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like, at what point does... <laughs> Um, there are no bad plants, only bad cultivators. At what point mm. does that become un- an unchangeable thing? Like, like that. Obviously, it stuck with me because I can quote it so so easily. The <laughs> no bad plants, only bad cultivators. In and, and that was Jean Valjean's response to like we shouldn't call things weeds. Um. But then it always comes back to with Tenardier, at what point like that Hugo is exclusively referring to him as a weed who can't be changed, who can't come mm. back to the light, who it's not even worth giving him opportunities for Moonlight because like we all know that he's such a rat that that God doesn't even shine his light on on him. And yeah, it's just it is just so frustrating, I guess, that you would have a good point in a book like this, which is Jean Valjean actively chooses to do good things and that makes him a good person. But then Tenardier is set up as his foil and isn't given the same chances and it's treated like, oh, and look, this poor dude is a shithole for it. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) In this essay, I have. (laughs) (laughs) He does give us a lot to think about, does Victor Hugo, and I guess we can't take that from him. Yeah, that's Mm. true. Because I'll be thinking about that through all the next scenes, and I guess through all of the Tenardier things. Mm. going forward because I, I feel like at some point you have been I feel like it's quite early on because when I first came to this podcast with zero blameless <laughs> knowledge that mm. I was like oh I was reading secondary sources before I even began reading the thing and I was surprised to hear that Javert's not the main antagonist <laughs> mm, mm. Um, and that it was um, that it's Tenardier forward slash Jondrette 
Um, I'm sure everyone knows who we mean. <laughs> we, we will be using them interchangeably. Yeah. Um, so, like, I know that came up, and I feel like that was, like, in a source I read, mm. like, years and years ago now. But I, like, still... And even though they have had their little antagonistic moments, I, like, hadn't had in my head that he's the foil. Mm, yeah. Until, like, you said it just now, and you're like, mm. oh, yeah. Yeah, because he, he is, like, when I said it, I was like, <laughs> I also had that same thing because yeah we 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 do see Javert as like Javert and Jean Valjean started as the same character so in a very real sense they are foils but I think I think it 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 is a more interesting foil in that in in that Hugo never makes it uh super explicit I guess I mean, I can't remember a line in the novel where Hugo goes like, "Look at these two men. What what differences a choice makes?" <laughs> um, but yeah, about about Tenardier. Yeah, and Jean Valjean. Yeah, mm. yeah. Jean Valjean has two hands. <laughs> he can have two foils. <laughs> That's true. That is true. I mean, I mean, you have you have the foil in criminality, and you have the foil in goodness i guess right mm. like you kind of need to with with this like alignment chart i guess have multiple foils in that mm. jean valjean could have been tenadier and he could have been javert if he had taken those two mm. extremes of criminality or justice but he didn't he went to I guess if you're thinking about it as a, a line, the middle ground, but if you're not thinking about it as a line, then to a different side of the spectrum. Um, and he, yeah, he, he, that's why he's such a, uh, that's why he is a capital G good person. Mm. Um, yeah. That was the stunned a... silence is just me like <laughs> thinking about it and being like, wow, what yeah. a good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I should validate that. Nemo, that the silence isn't like, what? <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the validation. I also like said it and was like, wow, that was... <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. that one. Good job. <laughs> there was a very silence of agreement of like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, indeed, like legitimately. Yeah. Wow, we got so much from these chapters. <laughs> We've connected so many dots today. So many dots. It's always the way. Um, before I can't remember if we were recording or before we started recording. Stevie was like, "Yeah, we're we're." I was like, "It's it's fine. We can have a shorter episode." <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> we always find what we can. Yeah, whenever we say it's going to be a shorter episode, we actually think the most thoughts. Because we're like, we need to fill this airtime. We need to engage our brains this time. <laughs> and on that bombshell. That was great. Yeah, it's been a while mm. since we've had a, a bombshell ending, I think. Um, yeah. So, good job us. This has been Bread and Barricades, Alema's podcast, produced by me, Nemo Martin, and Julian Yap. It it is a Captain's Collections podcast. If you also have thoughts about the cinematic parallels between Javert, Jean Valjean, and Tenadier, then you can send us an email 
L-E-S-M-I-S podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Les Podcast or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. Our audio director is Jade, who you can find on her website, jadewasavi.com or on her bandcamp, jadewasavi.bandcamp.com. If you like this show, you can donate to our Kofi or to our Patreon. And if you do so, we will spend all of it on getting a cab. <laughs> Either getting a cab from a church or paying off a cab driver so we can do some, I was going to say doity deeds, but mm. we don't uh, know what the deeds are going to be yet. We'll, we'll, we'll go to one blacksmith in Paris and then uh, get the cab to the Seine and throw it in in honour. <laughs> mm. Great, cool. That's everything. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Would it be really... This might not be for the ending. This might just be for us. Would it be really dark for us to make a little Javert effigy (gasps) to throw off the sun? Oh my god. No, we have to do it now. Hell yeah. (laughs)